It's great to see you all here at the teaching service. It's great also to welcome those of you that are joining us live um, by our website. A lot of people join us live by the website across the world. We're getting emails and uh, feedback from them as they join us. Also, a lot of people actually watch the teaching service during the week. So some of the people that come in the morning then watch it during the week. I wish they were here with you, you know. But um, thank you for coming because, you know, it could, it could end up just me and the camera and everybody watching at home, which is all right, but, you know, I, I, li I like to have a congregation supporting me. So welcome to all of you, whoever's watching, whenever you're watching, you're, you're very welcome. And uh, we don't have long left in this series, Beyond Death, where we're looking at what happens to human beings after death. And uh, we're really going to end on a high. Next week, I'm going to be talking about the Bible teaching of heaven. We've spent quite a few weeks dealing with the Bible teaching of hell, its nature, uh, what it is, what happens to people that die in unbelief. And uh, we've looked at the doctrine of rewards and all types of things. Next week, I'm going to be teaching what the Bible speaks about paradise and heaven. But then the following Sunday, a week next Sunday, we're going to have a special time, an extra special time, because Robert Slayden is going to be with us for the 5 o'clock service. Make sure you get here early if you're coming, because we're going to put him on early, because we want to give him a long time to talk about his experience popularized in his book, I Saw Heaven. As a young boy, eight years of old, Robert Sladen had an experience where God took him into heaven. And as a young boy, he experienced things in heaven, the atmosphere of heaven. And it was a very powerful experience. It's going to be a wonderful way to end this series, to have something. Now, of course, um, experience is always tested by the word of God, isn't it? And Roberts knows that. But I tell you what, God gave the Apostle Paul powerful experiences, catching him up into the heavenlies. And God does that sometimes with people in order to bring a testimony or a witness to the Word. He doesn't have to. He didn't have to take Roberts up in a heavenly experience when he was eight years old, but he chose to do it, not just for Roberts' benefit, but for ours. So that's going to be a wonderful service a week on Sunday. Today, I want to talk to you a little bit about what will happen when Jesus returns. We've spent some time in former, former uh, sessions together. And remember, every, all the sessions in this series and the series before, the Sermon on the Mount, they're all there on the KT Media page. You can go on the KT Media page, and if you scroll down, you'll come to a, play, uh, a title that says Series. And those series give you the different series that we do at KT. So you don't have to you know, jump around trying to find week by weeks. You just go down to the series you want, say it was Beyond Death. You, you press on that, and then all of the series of Beyond Death will be there lined up for you. And so I encourage you, if you've missed some of these series and you're interested in it, well, it's there for you uh, to facilitate um, your, your, your teaching. And so we, we've looked at a number of things. We, we've looked at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which talks about, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, about what happens when people go to sleep or die. And then he speaks about the fact, Paul does, that when Jesus returns with a great trumpet sound and the shout of angels out of heaven, 
The dead in Christ will be raised first. All the believers, the Old Testament, New Testament believers, all those that have died in faith right up to Jesus' return, their spirits that are in heaven right now will be joined with their bodies or the seed of their bodies and they will come out of the grave. If they were buried at sea, they'll come out of sea. Whatever happened, God can find the remnant of their bodies. They're going to be raised from the dead. As they're being raised from the dead, those of us that are alive are going to be glorified. Our body is going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye and all of us are going to go up to greet the Lord as he comes with his angels and bring and be with him as he comes to earth. But then what happens? That's the question that I want to talk about today. What happens when Jesus has returned to the earth? What's he going to do? Is it all over? Do we have a new heavens and a new earth instantly? Well, no, I'm here to teach you the doctrine of the millennial rule of Christ. The millennial rule of Christ. You say, what on earth is that? I'm glad you asked. If you turn with me to Revelation Chapter 19, let's get a feel. Jesus has returned to earth. The dead in Christ have been raised. Those that are believing on the earth when they return, they have been glorified. All the saints in the past are now reunited on the earth at Jesus' second coming. Jesus is on the earth physically. All believers of all times are now in their resurrected or glorified body Together, that's what what happens next. Well, well, let, 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 let's get a little bit of background here in Revelation chapter nineteen, verse eleven. Jesus is returning in this passage, the second coming. Revelation nineteen eleven. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judge and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations. Now listen. And he himself will rule them with an iron rod. He treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. He has on his robe and on his thigh the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In that passage, we have a clear picture of Jesus returning with the angels of God and the church of God. And when he comes to the earth, it says here that he will rule the eight nations in, an, in a rod of iron. Well, what does that mean? How is he going to rule the nations? We'll be coming back to that important theme in a moment. Now, turn to the next chapter, Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. I'm following. Now we're going to see the passage where we get the word millennial rule. Millennium just means a thousand years. It wasn't so long ago, was it? Well, it doesn't feel so long ago to me. Uh, Twelve years ago, we celebrated the what? The millennium, a thousand years, the new thousand years. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He held hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. 
He cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he could deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and not received the mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Uh, Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is the sea of the sand, sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of the fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever." Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. That passage that we've just read in Revelation chapter 20 is the passage to go back to, to make sure that you understand what's happening during the millennial rule of Christ. Did you notice how many times a thousand years was mentioned? A thousand years. Well, when we talk about the millennial rule of Christ, and you've already said that, yeah, 12 years ago we celebrated the millennium. Well, the word millennium is simply from the Latin for a thousand Okay? So whenever you hear about the millennial rule of Christ or, or life in the millennium, we're simply using a Latin word that simply means a thousand years. All right. So this is interesting what we're reading here. And this is an introductory session, so I'm going to lay out these truths in an introductory form. We could, we could go a lot more in detail with some of these issues, but I think we might get lost if we're going too deep, too far. Let's keep a sense of perspective. And so we see in the passages that we're reading that according to Revelation, when Jesus returns, it's not all over on the earth. It's not the finish of earth. It's not the finish of heavens. On the contrary, we see that there's going to be a period of time, a thousand years. Whether that's exactly to the day a thousand years or a period like a thousand years, Well, it's definitely a historical period. And during this period, in the passage that we've read, we find that the devil and Satan are locked away. There, verse 20, chapter 20, verse 2, bound for a thousand years. And so this means that during this period of Jesus' reign for a thousand years, there will be no demonic activity on the earth at all. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have no demons on the earth. 
One of the uh, things I do when I teach the Bible school and I teach them on the authority of the believer, and we talk about authority over the works of the enemy, and I, and I go through them, and I, I ask them a question, and I say, okay, I want you to, li- I think I'll do it with you today. I say, I want you to lift your hand when you think that what I'm about to say is true. And, I, and, and this, is, this is what I say, right, you don't have to put your hand up yet, but what if the devil and every demon, okay, that's working in the earth today, the devil and every demon, if they were instantly removed from the earth and placed on a place like Saturn, that there were no more demons, no more devils, how much would evil increase in the world? Okay, how much? And we go down in percentages. So, for example, if in one moment's time, Satan and all the demons that there are were transported out of the earth, would evil decrease by 100%? Or would it decrease by 90%? Or 80, or 70, or 60? And we go right down to zero. And when we look at this, we're saying, how much influence do you think Satan has on the earth. So if he was taken away, how much in a reduction of evil would there be? Do you hear what I'm saying? So there's no right or wrong answer. I'm just going to give you a feel. So how many believe that if the devil and his demons were suddenly disappeared from the earth, there would be 100% reduction in evil? Put your hand up. Okay, a few. How many believe if the devil and demons disappeared from the earth, there would be a 90% reduction in evil? Put up your hand. Okay. An 80% reduction in evil if the devil was gone. Hands. 70. Can I hear 60? <laughs> no. 60% reduction in evil. Yeah, yeah. Right at the back. 50% reduction in evil. Okay, thank you. 40% reduction in evil. 30% reduction in evil. Yeah, see that hand. 20% reduction in evil. 10%. Reduction in evil, thank you. No reduction in evil at all. Okay. Isn't it interesting that for every single percentage, except 20, unless I missed one, there was a hand. So there's some people that believe that all evil is caused by the devil. Because if the devil went, you said there'd be a 100% reduction. There'd be no more evil. And yet there were some people in this very room And we're all card-carrying, KT, Pentecostal tongue speakers, I hope. (laughs) That there are some people who say there'll be no more evil if the devil was taken away. And there's some people that say, actually, it wouldn't make any difference at all. There'll be zero percent. So evil all comes from human beings. It's interesting, isn't it? And I'm I'm not going to address that any longer except let you think about the fact that those that said a high percentage reduction in evil have a, have a higher view of the devil's activity on the earth. And those that said a very low um, percentage of change if the devil was removed have a very high view of human sin. And something for you to chew on later when you watch Songs of Praise. How about that? Or something. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that in this period of time when Jesus rules and reigns on the earth, there will be no devil. No demons. It says they will be bound and their activity will be prevented. So whatever you put your hand up, if in this period there is going to be no demonic activity. And I tell you, we would notice quite a big difference if there was no demonic activity. For this period of time. Apparently at the end of time as we read, 
that the devil will be released and his demons for a period of activity right at the end of this period. You see that there in chapter 20, verse 7. And so we have this picture of a thousand years. We have a picture of Jesus returning in his glory. We have a picture of all the saints of history, Old Testament and New Testament, in their glorified bodies with Jesus at his return, about to rule and reign over the nations. And then we have a picture of the nations that are being looked after by Christ and his church. How are we going to unpackage this? Because that might seem to you a very strange concept if you've never heard it before. Well, come with me to Joel chapter 3, verse 1. The prophet Joel chapter 3, verse 1. Because we see that the, um, the nations are prominent in this. Jesus is ruling the nations and the saints are ruling the nations with him at his return. Joel chapter 3, verse 1. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather the nations, sorry, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, they have divided up my land, and they have cast lots for my people. So here is Joel chapter 3, verse 1, a prophetic revelation that is yet to be fulfilled of a day when the Lord will bring all the nations before him for the judgment of the nations, and he will judge the nations on account of the nation of Israel and how they have treated the nation of Israel. All right? You say, is that in the New Testament? It certainly is. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31. Matthew chapter 5 verse... Sorry, Matthew chapter 25 verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on his throne of glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of the Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. The righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, and as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food, thirsty, and no drink. A stranger, you did not take me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. 
They will also answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of these, the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Well, this is the same judgment that we read in uh, Joel chapter 3. And can you see that this passage is about the judgment of the nations? Some people falsely, falsely go to this passage in Matthew 25 and think it's talking about how Christians will get into heaven. But that's nonsense. I mean, if we can only get into heaven by visiting prisoners, clothing the naked, and giving a, water to those that are thirsty, then uh, I think we better get some work going, don't you? Because I don't think many of us qualify to this level to get into heaven. So this is not talking. We know we get into heaven how? By grace, through faith, we simply believe. Jesus did all the work on the cross for us to get into heaven. We receive the gift. So this isn't talking about how you get into heaven by doing your own works. This is talking, as you saw, when the Son of Man returns. This is what happens when Jesus returns. We saw it in Revelation. We saw it in Joel. Jesus returns, and he gathers the nations that are on the earth together, and he judges them, and he sorts out the sheep from the goat, um, goats amongst the nations. And Joel says that the criteria is, how have they dealt with Israel? And, and in this passage, the people themselves aren't aware of this parable, are they? they? They don't know what he's talking about. You see, if Jesus came to us and started saying, you fed me, you gave me water, you visited me, we go, oh, yeah, I remember. Bruce read that passage, Matthew chapter 25. Yeah, we know when we did that, Lord. We know how we did that. We know, we know what you're talking about. But these people, they don't know what he's talking about, do they? They don't know the word of God. He's like talking about this. And they say, what is you talking about? When did we visit you? When did we help you? When did we do these things? They're ignorant of what he's talking about. These people are not saved Christians. They don't know the word of God. This is the nations that are left on the earth. When Jesus returns, I don't want to go too in-depth in anything that's not on my subject today, but when Jesus returns, he will return during a great time of tribulation. Do you know that? And there will be great, a great vengeance and threat to the nation of Israel, and Jesus will return to save Israel from the threats of the nation, and then he and, his, and all those that are resurrected and glorified, we will be with him, and he will judge the nations on how they dealt with Israel and their response to Israel, as Joel said. Now, this is important because, you see, what's going to happen preceding Jesus' return is there is going to be a mighty revival in the nation of Israel. Do you know that? In fact, Paul says, if you, if you want to know what the Bible teaches about Israel, we've just done the evening course on it. If you really want to know what the Bible teaches on Israel, you start with Romans chapter 9 through chapter 11. That's where you start. When you're, lear when you're trying to find out what the Bible teaches about something, always go to where it's most clearly taught in the Word of God. You hear what I'm saying? So if you say, how do we know we're going to heaven? 
Where would you go? Where, where would it most be clearly taught? Romans, Galatians, the Gospel of John. These things are written that you might believe. You go to where it's most clearly taught. Romans, Galatians, Gospel. You don't go to James to begin with. Because James isn't talking about how to get saved. He's talking about how to get saved from trials and difficulties. So he doesn't even address salvation. Not once in the book of James does he ever talk about how to get to heaven. The people he is talking to are already going. You don't go to Matthew. You don't go. You can go to them afterwards, but you go to where it's most clearly taught. And the doctrine of Israel is most clearly taught in Romans chapter 9 to verse 11. And if you want a book on that, get Michael, we got them in the bookshop, get Michael Eaton's book on Israel and the church. Now, in that passage, Paul says that there is a hardening going on in Israel. There's not as, uh, and he has to explain how come the Jews aren't getting saved like the Gentiles. And Paul basically says there's a hardening going on. But he says, but their time will come. And the last great revival, when God is pouring out the revival, right, the last great revival is going to be a revival amongst the Jewish people of the earth. And all those that are descendants of Abraham physically, they're all going to get saved in an end time outpouring. Do you think God would leave his firstborn abandoned forever? Just because he broke off some of the branches of the vine of Israel so that he could graft in us, the, na- the Gentiles from every tribe and nation, do you think that in the end, would God have done his job if he didn't bring back in full form the harvest of his firstborn? So we're believing God for an end time harvest of the Jews where all Israel, that, that basic, I don't know if that means every single person, but it means the absolute majority of Israelites will become born again Christians. And that's going to be right at the end of time, during this time of persecution. And so when Jesus returns, he's going to say, okay, how did you treat my people? Because right at the end, when he returns, Israel will not just be a nation and a group of a race of people, the Jews. But when Jesus returns, Israel will be a born-again nation, along with the Gentiles. Very important. This is why he is speaking to the nations on account of his people Israel, the sheep and the goats. Now, what does this mean? After he's judged the nations, what will happen? Well, it's important for you to listen carefully here. For this a thousand years, there will be two types of human beings on the earth. Two types. Everybody say two types. (laughs) Two types. The first type is going to be those that at his coming were raised from the dead, and those that were alive at his coming were glorified. Okay, that's the first one. What does that mean? Well, when Jesus returns, as I've already said, everybody that died in faith, Old Testament, New Testament, everyone that died and went to heaven will be reunited with their body. But not like the body you've got now. When they come out of that grave, their body is going to be what we call glorified. It is going to be a perfect, glorified, indestructible, eternal body. Uh, You say, well, how does that differ to the body I've got now? I always use this illustration. One of my favorite things in my garden that I'm blessed to have is a mighty oak tree. I mean, it's as tall as as, um, this building. It's huge. And every autumn or so, it 
sheds its acorns. And you can pick up the acorn. An acorn is about that size, isn't it? And it always amazes me. Because I look at the acorn, I look at the tree, and I think to myself, how can such a big tree be in such a small acorn? I mean, it's almost unbelievable that that tree was once this acorn. You will be as, an, as amazed as, as, as that when you see what your glorified body is like. Because your body right now, even when you're at your best, at your proper weight, when you've got all your hair and you've dyed it like I have, and you're looking great, you're still an acorn. You know, all the, even if you've been airbrushed on the cover of Vogue magazine, you're still an acorn. acorn. But if you're a believer... Then when Jesus returns, if you died, you'll be raised from the dead. If you're alive, you'll be caught up with those being raised to meet him in the air. And you will be transformed in a twinkling of an eye, Paul says, from an acorn to a mighty oak tree. That's glorification. God loves the spirit and he loves the body. And think of Jesus. Uh, he showed his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration, didn't he? But also he had a resurrected, glorified body. It was still a physical body, but it was also a spiritual body. It was a spiritual, physical body, wasn't it? He could eat fish. He could eat bread. He could say um, to uh, Thomas, touch me. But at the same time, he could appear and disappear. He could veil who he was to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he could cover his glory, or he could release his glory as he chose. Well, he's the first fruits. As he is right now, so we will be. So the first type of people that will be on the earth during these thousand years are the saints of God throughout the history. You and I and all that have died. We will be perfect in every way. We, we will have perfect bodies, not subject to death. They're, raised, they're resurrection bodies. Not subject to sin. You will be completely free from the power of sin in your spirit and your body. You will be glorified like the Lord. You will be able to move from one place in the earth to another place in the earth like he did. You're physical, but you're spiritual. You are the perfect you. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? You're eternal. You'll never, you, you won't know death. You won't know sickness. You won't know anything like that. You are fully saved and glorified, and now you're on the earth with Jesus. That's the first class of human beings. The second class of human beings are those that are on the earth, the sheep that Jesus judges. Those sheep, well, they believe in Jesus now, they can see him. But those sheep, somehow, and I, don't, I, I can't explain it fully, I can only see what the revelation, those sheep were open and sympathetic to God's people at the time during the tribulation. You know, they visited them in prison. The whole picture is ministering to someone in persecution great need and hunger and danger. These people uh, had Israel placed on their heart. They were sympathetic to them. These are the sheep. Jesus said, enter into everlasting life. They were saved. They're on the earth. The goats, they are taken at that moment and they are placed in the place of hell. They are destroyed. Now, these sheep, these sheep are still mortal, their bodies. They're not glorified like we will be. They're not raised from the dead. They're, 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 up, they're there on the earth. So these sheep will live and still die during the millennium, all right? So you have two types of people. I'm going to illustrate this. 
Two types of people on the earth when Jesus returned. The full-blown glorified saints, the church of the past, resurrected bodies, glorified bodies, perfect in every way, sin can't touch us, we won't sin, can't sin, we're as fully saved as we're ever going to be with Jesus. And then the sheep of the nations that were sympathetic to Israel, they will still get married, they will still have children, they will still die during this period. We won't get married, we'll be like the angels of God, as Jesus said. Can you see these two things? That's why we're going to rule and reign over the rebuilding of those nations with Christ during those 1,000 years. Well, I've set out my stall a bit, so let me take you to um, a, a, little, a little bit more. If we can go to Revelation chapter 2, verse 26. So when you die, not only are you going to go to heaven, if you're a believer, but you're going to come back to earth have a resurrected, glorified body and rule and reign with Jesus. He's going to rule from Jerusalem. Revelations 2, verse 26. Speaking to the church. Revelations 2, 26. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron and they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. So here, one of the rewards for the overcoming church, not just for every believer, but those that are overcoming, is that one of the rewards is that we are going to have responsibility during that thousand-year period to rule over the nations alongside Jesus. I've already spoken to you in one of the, one of the sessions in this series about the judgment of believers and the rewards. There are eternal rewards that we're going to get. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 speaks about the fact that if we build our lives on grace with precious jewels and gold, we will receive a reward. If someone just gets saved and doesn't do anything, they'll be saved, but as through fire, 1 Corinthians 3. One of the rewards, as well as the eternal rewards, one of the rewards that we can expect is during this millennial rule, that those that have been faithful and strong to God, God will put them in charge and give them greater responsibility in the kingdom of the millennium. And here we see that promise there in um, Revelation uh, chapter 2. Let's also go to Daniel chapter 7. I'm aware that this is the first time many of you would ha- will have heard this, so once you hear this, you've just got to let it sink in a bit. I'm going to come back to it because it can sound very strange but I've got something I want to say about the strangeness of this. Daniel chapter 7, verse 27. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Again, we see this idea that God's people are going to rule and reign over the nations. Well, when is this going to happen? I believe it's going to happen in the millennium, the millennial rule of Christ, when Christ returns. Now, some people, and I need to let you be, make you aware, some people would say, Bruce, you're talking utter rubbish. This millennium, this is a thousand years, It's not a period of time when Jesus returns 
And there's two views I want to mention to you so you know that there are other views, not just the one I'm giving. And the view that I am talking about is what we call pre-millennial. Pre-1000. Pre-millennial. What does that mean? That Jesus will return before, pre-the thousand years. Pre-millennial rule of Christ, okay? My view is pre-millennial, pre-a thousand years. Jesus will return, and then we'll have the thousand-year period. Pre-millennial. There are some Christians that believe that Jesus will return post-millennial. That Jesus will return after that a thousand-year period that's in Revelation. People that believe that say, oh, we're not talking about a thousand years. We're just talking about, and they have different views, but one view is we're talking about the age of the church. That's the millennial. The thousand years is speaking about Jesus ruling and reigning in the hearts of his church. And so when Jesus returns, that a thousand years is just a picture of the church era. And when Jesus returns, those, that millennial period of him reigning in the church's heart, that will be over. Some people who are post-millennial, Jesus will return after those a thousand years, say, oh, the thousand years, this means a great era of Christian revival across the world. And so they believe that the millennium, the thousand years, is a symbol of when the church will rise to such great power in the world that we will basically hand the world to him almost saved and Jesus will return. And that era of the world, of the church dominating and, and just being totally ruling almost over the, over the world, that period they call the millennium, all right? So those are the different ideas. Pre-millennial, that's what I'm teaching. Post-millennial. But I believe that this will be a period of a long time, like a thousand years. And the following reason that I believe is because God is restoring everything. And we know that since the Garden of Eden, not only has mankind been subject to the fall, but the earth has been subject to the fall. Romans chapter 8 says that the earth, the universe, do you know this? The universe is groaning, crying, saying, when will the sons of God be revealed? Romans chapter 8, I don't know the verse, but you can find it. Rome, the, the whole of creation cries, it's groaning. I mean, imagine the earth, the universe is groaning. It's desiring earnestly for a moment when the sons of God are revealed because it knows the moment that the sons of God are revealed that the earth and creation itself will be released from the power of the curse. How many know that when Adam fell, the whole world fell and all the animals with it? There's a, there is a beauty of nature that is a reflection of our God, the creator. But there's also a horror of nature. There's a reflection of the fall. You say the horror of nature... Yeah, I remember watching a film on nature and seeing a mother dormouse eat her children. I remember there was trauma in Martin Cum Grafton C of E school in North Yorkshire when the children turned up to have a look at the baby gerbils one morning and they'd all disappeared. And the teacher told us that the mummy looked a bit bigger today than she did yesterday. And we're like, oh, my God, 
the gerbil mummy ate her children. I still need a healing for that, going on an encounter two weeks, sort it out. <laughs> but I don't know about you, that's horrible. God didn't create the world like that. God created it. God created the world. Good. It was good. It was good. It was good. But the earth is going to be restored. You think Jesus is going to come back and the earth has never had its salvation? The groaning for the sons of God to be revealed is talking about the second coming of Christ. When Jesus comes, I'm telling you, all the dead in Christ and those that are alive that are believed, we are going to be revealed to the earth, to the universe, to the nations. We're going to be revealed in all our resurrection glory. I tell you what, you're going to be so glorious that if it wasn't for Jesus there, I tell you what, if if I was glorified, I wish I could be, but if I was glorified in front of you right now, if God gave me the glorification that will come at his return, most of you would bow down and find it hard not to worship me. You say, no, I wouldn't. Yes, you would. Because when John saw the angel, the angel said, stop, don't you about to worship me. I tell you what, the glory of the redeemed shall be infinitely more glory than those, glorious than those of the angels. So that's what I'm talking about. And when we are revealed, when we are revealed, the curse that's on creation is going to be lifted. We're going to see a change in those, those a thousand years will not be like what we've experienced, not only in our bodies, but the earth will be blessed once again like the Garden of Eden. And this is important. I'm going to show you scriptures for this, but I, I have to tell you that before I go. This is important because God is going to restore things. He's not going to say, oh, well, we all got saved. We all went to heaven, but the earth, well, trashed. Throw it in the bin, start all over again immediately with new heavens. And new... No, and also there are prophecies that the Messiah will rule the nations. Well, when's he going to do that? Jesus is going to rule the nations from Jerusalem. New Jerusalem. Hallelujah. What about the prophecies? And we will rule and reign with him. Well, I've said a lot. Let me get some scriptures to help you um, with this. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. Life in the millennium. What's it going to be like? Isaiah chapter 11. So this is why it's important that there's a millennium. Because God has got unfinished business. I tell you what, he's going to put everything right. He's not only going to save us, but he's also going to bring this world back to what it was like at the Garden of Eden. It's part of his process. That's what he's going to do. Hallelujah. He's going to make all things right. Okay, Isaiah 11, verse 2. What as I read, what as I read is yet to be fulfilled. And I want you to think, is this a picture, some of these words, of what it's going to be like on the earth when Jesus returns? Isaiah 11, verse 2. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with his breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Now read. The wolf shall also dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a child shall lead them. 
the cow and the bear shall graze. The young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den, and they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my mountain, for the earth shall know, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the earth. What's this talking about? Is this poetry? No, it's prophecy. It's not poetry, it's prophecy. And what this is saying is that there's going to come a time on this earth, and it's when Jesus returns, when God begins to reverse the curse on the earth. During the Garden of Eden, the lion didn't eat the lamb. How many of you know that? Death came into the world through Adam. The first animal that ever died physically died at the hands of God when he slew the animal to make a sacrifice and and covering for Adam and Eve. In the Garden of Eden, everybody was vegetarian. In fact, it wasn't until after the flood that God gave Noah permission to eat animals. They were vegetarians before that. And so God is going to bring creation back into the blessing as it was in the Garden of Eden. That's why the lion will graze. That's why there'll be no predators feeding on one another during this time, and the child will be able to to be there. There's going to be a change on the earth. God is going to bless the land again, not curse it. Turn with me to Isaiah 65 and verse 18. Isaiah 65 and verse 18. Of verse 17. Isaiah 65, verse 17. Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as rejoicing and a people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. Listen. For the child shall die 100 years old. But the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not destroy or hurt on my holy mountain, says the Lord. You see how that reinforces a different type of environment on the earth. Remember how before the flood, people lived for hundreds and hundreds of years? That actually took place. Because the earth before the flood was very different to, it was, to what it was after the flood. Don't want to go into details, don't have times, and also I don't have the, uh, the scientific knowledge to go deep into this, but I, I've heard from those that do, that you know the firmament came down from above, Well, before the flood, the earth 
had water superheated, they believe, all the way around it in the atmosphere. Have you, have you ever noticed what a greenhouse is like? When I lived in North Yorkshire, my parents had a greenhouse, and it used to be it's freezing in North Yorkshire. I'm so glad I live in London. But it's freezing. And you'd be like, but I tell you what, even on a cold day like today, especially with the sun, you walk into the greenhouse, and it was nice. And plants that were in the greenhouse flourished and, 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 and you know, did the best they could. Plants outside that greenhouse withered and weren't as strong. Well, it's the same principle in the earth. The, the, they say that this, this water affected the, um, the harmful rays from the sun that come into our lives and all types of things, which meant that in that greenhouse type of scenario, there was no need to eat animals. You could get all the nourishment you wanted from the plants. And so people's aging process slowed down. After the flood finishes, you see that people's lifespan rapidly decreases. They need to eat animals for extra nourishment. Can you see there's a difference? Well, God's not just going to take the earth back to pre-flood. He's going to take it back to the blessing of the Garden of Eden. Now, we, of course, are, are going to be ruling and reigning with him. But the sheep, remember the sheep and the goats? Those sheep, they're going to live, get married and die during this period. We'll be ruling and reigning over them and, and teaching them about the Lord and being there. But they will live, many of them, hundreds of years. That's why if a baby, if someone dies at 100, it'll be like, oh, they didn't even make it to adulthood. That's what it says. So we're going to see a great time of restoration, of blessing during this period. All the pilgrimage prophecies of the nations coming up to Israel and Jerusalem to worship the Lord. All of that's going to take place. There's going to be rewards for the believers during that time. And then at the end, we see that for a short period, Satan is going to be loosed. We saw that in Revelation, didn't we? He'll be loosed at the end. Well, why? Because everybody has to have their faith tested. Now, we know what it is to have our faith tested. We were born in a world that is fallen. Born fallen. Born in a world that was fallen. We, have had demon we know what it is to have de demonic pressure in our lives. One of the things Roberts will talk about, not this Sunday, but next Sunday, is that in heaven, there's no resistance. There's no spiritual resistance in heaven because there's no devils. And he talks about there's just absolute freedom and resistance because there's no sin and there's no demons, all right? Well, for those a thousand years, remember, there's going to be no demonic oppression. And these people will grow and live, have children, and they'll never know what it is to be tempted like Adam and Eve were. They'll never know what it is to have the temptations that we face on a daily basis. They're not perfect. They'll still sin. But they won't have that demonic pressure. Well, that needs to be tested. And at the end of time, for a short period, the enemy, the devil, will be released from his captivity and he will deceive many of those nations. He will deceive them. They will have their faith in Jesus tested some will stand, but some will go over to the devil, and those that believe and remain believing shall be saved, and those that don't, they will turn to the enemy. You say, how could anybody turn to the enemy when Jesus is seated in Jerusalem? That's the power of the enemy, my friend. How could anyone believe the voice of a serpent in the garden of perfection? Can you see how the millennium, I'm only, I know it's just an introduction, but how it answers so many questions 
of God's work on the earth, on, on restoring the earth, on the fact that, you know, one day Jesus is going to rule this earth properly, if you know what I'm talking about. Not just as Savior of those that believe, but as Lord of this earth. The real Messiah is going to rule the world from Jerusalem and will have a period where the nations will honor him as they were always meant to. You hear what I'm saying? This fulfills so much of God's restorative purpose. Of course, the last battle we will win. And then there will be the second resurrection. Thank God, if you believe today, you're going to be part of the first resurrection. But at the end of the millennial, there'll be a second resurrection. And that will be for all those that died in unbelief throughout history. They will be raised from the dead and given eternal bodies that will not know corruption. They will then be judged according to their works, which will qualify none of them. And they will end up in hell, as we've spoken about, with the devil and his angels. And then God will do a work that we can't possibly even begin to imagine. He will roll up this earth, roll up this universe, and he will create a new heavens and a new earth. I, don't, I can hardly believe or even think about what that is going to be like. Amen? And then finally, I want to address this because I remember when I first heard these truths, I thought, my God, that's weird stuff. My, what, li- what, lion, lion, down with lamb, what? If, it, if someone dies at 100, it's like they didn't even make adulthood. What, root, having our resurrection bodies and being able to move from one place to another instantaneously because we're both physical and spiritual. I thought, I tell you what, that's weird. And then I remember I was thinking about the end times and all these things. And I was driving home on the A40 um, one afternoon and it wasn't dark, it was light. It was at the end of work and I, or, or, or something. And I remember thinking, Lord, you know, it's a bit strange, these things in the end times, because very different to what we're experiencing now. And I'm trying to put myself in the position of what that'd be like. And it almost sounds like fantasy, some of the things I've said today. Almost sounds like Bruce's, what a wonderful work of fiction. Has he read it from a C.S. Lewis book? Is it, is this, oh, Bruce, you're talking about Narnia. We're all going to go through a wardrobe and live in Narnia. It can sound like that. I've been there. I've thought about it. So I'm not, you know, and if you're hearing this for the first time, why shouldn't you think as I thought? Or maybe you're a bit holier than me and spiritual than me. I hope you are. As I'm driving, out of the blue, it begins to hail. You know, hail. Not snow, not rain. It begins, and it, I mean, it begins to hail like I've never experienced hail before. We're on the A40. Everybody slows down and stops because the hail is so blinding, the wipers can't keep up with it. And so everybody's stopped. I can't even see the car in front of me. And I'm sitting in the car, and I hear the roar of the hail hitting my car, thinking there's going to be some dents. I'm going to have to take it to get sorted at the end. Of it. And I'm sitting there. I can't see out of my window because it's just, just blankets of hail. I can't, all I can hear is the roar of hail. And the Lord says to me, so shall it be in my day. I thought, oh my God. There I am, driving along in the sun, thinking this is the normal, this is the way it is. Can't perceive of anything different, a different atmosphere. And in a twinkle of an eye, bang! The whole atmosphere changes. Totally different 
atmosphere. And now I'm sitting in this hail going, where did this come from? That's what it's going to be like when Jesus returns. When he returns, all this sort of like, and what's Bruce talking about revelation? Oh, that sounds weird. That sounds strange. Well, in one moment, it's all going to become real. Within five minutes, you'll have come to terms with it. And you'll think, my God, he wasn't preaching fiction. He was preaching the word of God. God bless you. See you next week for heaven. And the week after with Robert Sledden for I Saw Heaven. Amen. Thank you, Bruce. Well, God bless you guys as you leave today. Don't forget, if you're signing up for the various courses for the evening certificate, you can hand in your forms of reception right now. And just as a reminder, Winning the Nations is Wednesday. Our ministry in the Spirit is Thursday if we want to study further as well. Well, God bless you guys. If you're here for the first time, come and say hi to us. Otherwise, we'll see you again at the 7 o'clock service.